and welcome to the Engineering Success Podcast. I am your host, Daniel. Nice to see you guys. I hope you're having a good week. Yes, this is three weeks in a row. What a miraculous occurrence. We're at three weeks in a row of the Engineering Success Podcast. I think I have a little rhythm to myself now, so this is very exciting. We're doing three episodes, three weeks in a row, uploading something on YouTube every single day. This is... a uh, I have not been in a better rhythm with the podcast than I am now. Speaking of rhythm, I am very, 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 very excited to shout out my supporter for the podcast. Shout out to John Ott. Thank you for your support of the podcast. You can join John Ott as a top tier supporter of the podcast by giving a donation via Anchor or Patreon. Actually, Anchor is now Spotify Podcasts, if you didn't notice that. But check out my website. Check out the description box if you're listening. Check out the subscription box and the um, down in the comments. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see that there's an option for you to subscribe to the podcast and support. Uh, not to be confused with subscribing on YouTube, which is completely free. Uh, we're just under a quarter of the way there to our goal of 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. And we're also just under a quarter of the way there for 4,000 watch hours. So that, that's our target to hit YouTube partner, uh, 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 watch hours. So keep on watching the podcast, keep on sharing the podcast, keep on just doing nice things. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your support. We're growing. We're growing as fast as we can. Um, subscriber count is just under 200. Um, we have just under 1,000 watch hours. Really, really good stuff. Um, so what else? Uh, no five-star reviews to read off this week, but if you want to be featured on the podcast, you can always write in at daniel at engringsuccess.com, or you can leave a five-star review. I think Apple Podcasts is the, currently the only one where you can actually leave a written five-star review, but I will put a link down here in the comment sections for you guys. And if you leave a five-star review for the podcast... I will read it off at the beginning of the next episode of the podcast. So really appreciate y'all's support. Five-star reviews. Uh, we talked about the website, www.engring.success. I'll type that in the chat. .com as well. What other news? Oh, I'm writing a book, interestingly enough. Yeah, I'm writing a book. Uh, I So what I'm doing is I'm, I asked ChatGPT, because it's pretty popular right now, to strategize for me on what I need to be doing to, to become a hit podcast. What they told me do, to do is I needed to generate a lead magnet, which gets people to come in and, 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 and consume my content. And they said to write a book, which that seems simple enough. So I, I'm early stages, very early stages, but I, I'm thinking it's going to be something to the tune of um, a how-to guide for a successful transition into an engineering career. So that that's kind of what I'm I'm targeting for the book title. But if you think I'm crazy for trying to write a book, uh, please let me know down in the comments. I think I'm pretty crazy, but I, I really appreciate y'all's support. All right, well, let's get into it. So we have this recurring segment every single episode called LinkedIn Lunatics. I'm kind of I'm kind of expanding it to career craziness because I love alliterations. But let's just jump on into it. This was not on LinkedIn Lunatics. This was on r slash recruiting hell, which is one of my new favorite subreddits. Here we go. Found one in the wild, a take home assignment for a marketing role. 
So what they said is, with what you have learned, please complete the following. One, prepare a short brief for a marketing strategy, your approach and actions for the first three months, six months, and 12 months. Prepare a four-page PowerPoint with a cover and three pages, explaining what problems we are solving, explaining how we solve them, give examples of happy clients, pick one from our website. Two, three, make two Loom or any other provider videos five minutes each and present tasks one and two in them. Okay. And four, make a list of three improvements you prioritize for each. Our company LinkedIn page and our company website. <laughs> okay. We don't have a marketing person in-house, so we want you to do our entire marketing strategy for us for free. Oh my goodness. And give example of happy clients. Pick one from our website. My goodness. That is redonkulous. You know, they're a marketing firm and they're just trying to get you to do one of their freelance, one of their campaigns for them without paying for you. Let's look, let's good, look at the comments. Here we go. Response. I'd be happy to do this. My rate is 100. Oh, that's too low. $100 an hour with a five hour minimum. Let's sign a contract and I can get started today. Yeah. Yeah, this is not good. If you're a company that does this, um, you have some balls, that's for sure, to try to try to get uh, this much free work out of people. Um, but stop. This is, you can interview a person and and learn whether or not they can do the things you can do. Maybe they might have a portfolio of things that they've already done. And maybe you can look at that instead. Look at their resume. I, I wouldn't say... These take-home assignments like this are really slimy, in my opinion, and I would advise against them because you're, you're just going to turn candidates away. I mean, seriously, and I, I wouldn't do this. I, I would just, I would have to be in a, and maybe this is what they're looking for. I would have to be in a very desperate position in my career search to do a take-home assignment that is this laborious. So if we're in this situation, I'd say, hey, I appreciate you guys, your interest in me. Thank you so much for... Uh, sending me this uh, assignment, I, I'm not going to be able to do all this. Uh, this is, I, I have a full-time job already. I'm already working. I have a portfolio of things that I'm doing. Um, can I just send me my portfolio instead? Or if you want, I can do one of these things, but not all four of these things, because I'm not going to give you a complete marketing campaign. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just not. So I appreciate your interest. Thank you so much. But I just can't. I can't do that. So that's, that's what I'd say in this situation. What would you say in this situation? Comment down in the comments below. Write into me. Uh, have you been assigned a take-home assignment? I haven't. Thank goodness. But I definitely wouldn't do one like this. So write into the comments below if you've experienced something similar like that. And if you want, you're more than welcome to engage with this post. I'll write it here. All right. Next question. That's not the next question. What? Oh. Here, let's open that. Next question is. We anticipate moving very quickly. We anticipate moving very quickly. We anticipate moving very quickly, and our evaluation process is as follows. Recruiting screen, 60 minutes. Hiring manager interview, 60 minutes. Take home skills assessment, two hours. Virtual onsite, three hours. Panel presentation, 30 minutes plus 30 minutes. Stakeholder interview, one hour. 
Stakeholder interview, one hour. Executive interview, 30 minutes. References, offer. So I wouldn't say that this is quickly, but maybe it's like compressed together really fast and they expect you to use every single hour of your next week for this. But I'd say that this is this is pretty typical, right? Um, I, th I wouldn't say that it's quick, 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 slow, but I would say it is pretty typical. Um, we onboarded somebody recently to our company. There was a recruiter screen, yes. The hiring manager did an interview, yes. We didn't do a take-home skills assessment, but maybe it wasn't relevant for our role, but maybe it is for this one. I, again, if you on, it makes sense for some jobs, not sense for others. Virtual onsite, I don't know what that is. Don't know what that is, but uh, very interesting nonetheless. Um, panel presentation. So you're going to give a presentation, or I hope the panel is giving a presentation to you and a bunch of other candidates, and it's like a large hiring thing. And maybe the virtual on-site is like a um, a group thing. I hope that those are group things. But who has three hours during the workday to take? I mean. I mean, you're you're really asking people to take a lot of time away from their current job. And this has to be for like college hires or something like that. It has to be. Um, stakeholder interview one, stakeholder interview two. Okay, that, that kind of makes sense. But I, I did those whenever I was interviewing for a job recently. I did multiple stakeholder interviews. Um, an executive interview, I did one of those. And then references and offers. So, but I, I mean... Some of this makes sense. Some of this doesn't make sense. I guess you need some more context. Uh, the top comment is uh, they obviously don't know what quickly is. And yeah, the take home assessment and virtual onsite is basically built for folks who don't already have a current job. It's ridiculous. Um, interesting. That Yeah, so it wasn't for college hires. But yeah, that looks like it's kind of structured for college hires. But if you want to engage with this post, go ahead and engage with it in the comments below. I sent the link to that one down in the comments. We anticipate moving very quickly. Doesn't sound like you're moving very quickly, buddy. Doesn't sound like you're moving very quickly. All right. Next question. One second. It's not reading. Boss said to work remotely. And salary will be decreased based on what I was spending on transportation. He literally called me and said, your house is far, how about you work from home and the money you spend on transportation will be cut from your salary. TF. My salary is too low. Literally. It's been four months and I'm taking like $250 and I spend like $150 on transfers. I don't get it. And then I told him yeah but other employees doesn't spend any since they go there by their cars, meaning they will get the same salary even if they work from home. Then he said I have to meet you and discuss this tomorrow. P.S. Last week was crazy, place I work at was super judgmental, they judged the shit out of me, the way I dress I speak I talk. But I stayed cause it's my first job and I wanted the experience. As a junior full stack dev. I just don't get it. I have never in my life heard about such a deal. Yeah, so this is kind of wild. This can't be like a large company because I it just I can't see any any process or procedure allowing anything to happen. I mean, 
I, I don't even know what mechanism they would do uh, to do this. It sounds like this is a startup that's like super strapped for cash um, that's trying to save money. And I look at that as like a massive red flag. Like if they're hemorrhaging money that bad that they need to make an offer like this to you, that's just terrible. Also, um, yeah, th th this top comment makes a lot of sense. Like uh, tell them that's fine, but you're expecting an increase for the electricity and other expenses you'll be incurring. Yeah, yeah, a home office is not cheap. And I mean, what kind of what kind of what kind of employee retention metric is that? Hey, we're gonna give you the opportunity to work remotely, but you're gonna have to take a pay cut. Um, so do some math for us and determine your pay cut. Yeah. Um, have any of you in the comments ever been asked to to make your to make your own, to calculate your own pay decrease. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. No, uh, I'd say no. Uh, no, no. I've never heard in my life about such a deal. It seems kind of unprofessional for them to even offer it. Uh, propose sending an invoice monthly for electricity, water, snacks, lunch, food, internet data, heating, gas, building maintenance, and any other additional expenses from homework. Rent the square footage of your house as office space. Yeah, this is a this is a massive red flag. I know you're you, you're you're putting up with it. You you already don't like the culture. You already kind of have your foot out the door because um, you don't like the way people are treating you. I'd say keep that foot out the door. Start looking for other jobs with like normal terms of employment now. And if you're already making too little, um, I just say hey, no man. You know what? I'd be happy to work from home. That'd be great. Thank you so much for offering that to me. But I'm not gonna be able to take a pay decrease for that because that is wild like that is ridiculous <laughs> and it just screams uh we are running out of money for our startup and we're doing everything we can to save 50 bucks uh so yeah i'd be i'd be kind of worried about that if i were you so go ahead and keep on looking for a new job and uh and get away from there that is that is crazy all right, next question. Think someone from a state college would fare in the job market against someone? What happened there? No, I want to start from the top. How important is going to a big name college for engineers? Question is in the title. I'm currently a rising college freshman going into mesh and I'm not sure what is going to come of the rest of my college decisions. How much of an impact do you think a prestigious college will make on one's engineering career? Maybe this is too broad, but how do you think someone from a state college would fare in the job market against someone who came from like MIT or any big tech school? Would someone from a big tech school be able to get significantly better jobs? If yes, what skills would make you as competitive as those individuals? Edit, typo slash terminology change. Yeah, so what I'd say, um, I, I'd say it. Going to a big school, um, you, you do have some advantages. That, uh, what, I, what I look at is what their resources are for their college fairs. Maybe go on their engineering website, see the pictures of their college fairs and see what companies are going to their college fairs. Maybe they have a list of all the people that attended. You know, I, I would compare that because um, so the, the advantage that you get from some of the big schools is you'll have some of the best um, companies will come to their career fairs instead of you having to travel to go to international career fairs like the or the national career fairs like the SWE fair or NISBE or, or IEEE and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so that there is a slight advantage, but 
I don't know, like, for example, my company, I mean, maybe we like somebody from MIT, but I know that like the, if you ask the guys in the field out in construction, unless they had the chance to meet the guy, if they heard uh, MIT, then they kind of roll their eyes a little bit and say, oh, another person that with an engineering, super te uh, technical, philosophical engineering degree that doesn't really know anything. Um, but yeah, I I'd say that the biggest thing is just that the employers come to their campus. But if you go to a big school that's not MIT, like go to Texas A&M, UT Austin, University of Houston, even uh, University of Texas, San Antonio. I'm talking from Texas. Um, they, they all have big career fairs and, and big employers come to their fairs. And interesting, um, interestingly enough, you can you, you can go to other schools, career fairs. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say that's the only real advantage. But um, like, I don't even know if MIT would have a bigger career fair than a than a UT Austin or a Virginia Tech or uh, I mean those are also all good schools but I don't think the MIT would have a bigger one um but whenever it comes to actually having after you get your job and after you're working in the industry nobody cares like nobody cares so it, it really at, at that point once you get your first job it's just a matter of uh of what you've already done so I mean what I do is if you know an industry that you want to work in already um you know look at the universities and see what kind of connections they already have into that industry talk to the uh, the engineering recruitment office, talk to the professors if you have the chance, talk to students um, and see, make sure that they have a decent, um, you know, draw into those companies that are in that industry. And then, and then kind of make your decision off of that. That's kind of what I would do. So um, no, it's not the most important thing, but it, it can give you a little bit of an edge if they're already coming to your school's career fair. Um, I think that regardless of where you go, um, you're you're gonna you're gonna be fine, especially if you're going to one of the bigger state schools. So, good luck to you. That is great. All right. Next question. Well, speaking of career fairs, we have some advice, some wisdom for those of you that are attending career fairs. But, excuse me. All right. Here we go from the top. Handing down some wisdom for you guys attending career fairs. I'm an EE with about five years in at a large utility. Some of this may be common sense but I'm a grumpy pants and want to rant a little bit too. First off, dress nice. I honestly think suit and tie is overkill for a career fair but business casual at a minimum. What you ask us is way more important, I'm gonna give you the generic go away response if you just straight up ask me for an internship right out of the gate. Do the bare minimum research. I used to literally just Google the company and ask about whatever project is on their website. Like above don't start with are you hiring interns? Yes that's why I am here and 90% of the tables will tell you to apply online. Instead ask about what projects we're working on and what my favorite IEEE topic is. My go-to question is hi I'm interested is such and such but I also want to continue to develop my portfolio. As an engineer working for blank, what kind of opportunities do you have to develop professionally? And I'll talk about the kind of goals I set, continuing education, committees I'm on ECT. I'm also not a recruiter, I'm there to rep the company and talk about how cool engineering is. And it's the case for most companies there. So don't even ask about internships, if I like you I will tell you how to apply. And if I don't, ask for advice when applying like what the focus of my CV should be. If you show up wearing pajama bottoms and a suit top I will clown on you. 
Also don't be afraid to ask tough questions like what work-life balance, how often we travel. When it comes down to it your decision is most important. And don't bother waiting in line for the huge tech companies like Tesla with their big dick measuring contest in the corner. When it comes down to it, it's your decision where you want to work and you should know your worth. You finished engineering school, that's a huge accomplishment and don't let anyone take advantage of you. Also GPA doesn't matter, if you're asked about it go to the next company. GPA does not equal work ethic talk about your accomplishments and what you're involved in. Chances are your communication skills are more important. Yeah, so I think that's pretty good advice. Um, let's kind of go through it. So he says dress nice. Yeah, I'd say just um, if you're a dude, uh, a shirt and pants, button down shirt and pants. If you're a girl, blouse and pants, button down shirt and pants. And you can do like a, you know, skirt as well. I'm not as versed in uh, female fashion, but uh, I need to become more familiar with what the female version of business casual is. So I'll, I'll do some research on that. But um, yeah, don't start off with, are you hiring? Are you hiring internships? I would I would say that, hey, I've applied to XYZ internship. Here's my resume. Um, do you have any feedback? Anything I, I should update um, on my resume? Anything I should focus on in my CV that to make myself a, stand out better for this resume? Do you know what the people in this program do? Um, what, what would I learn from it? Um, what would I get out of it? Are there anything I can do to increase my likelihood of getting in? I mean, I don't know if you asked that one. You can. Um, but yeah, just say uh, what kind of opportunities are there for professional development in your company? Um, what kind of what kind, what's your day to day like? Those are all really good questions to ask. Um, asking, are you hiring interns? The answer is yes, as he said or they said. Uh, and saying uh, which 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 one should I apply for is not a good question. Um, come to them already having applied. That'll that'll help make you stand out for sure. So, um, yeah, that, it, it's really good advice. If you, if you want, I actually have a video on how to pre prepare for a career fair. Uh, you should go check it out if you haven't already. I will link it in the comments. Called "How to Prepare for a Career Fair." I'm searching it right now. How to prepare for a career fair. It's the nine step ultimate guide on how to prepare for a career fair. And here it comes in the comments now here. You can watch it. You should watch it. All right. Well, let's go on to the next question. The next question is, oh, this is a good one. I really like this question because it's so relevant to my personal interests. All right, you ready? My boss asked if I can play golf and I said I can but I have never played. How do I prepare? So my boss previously asked me if I'm any good at golf and as I'm in a customer facing job and thought he may be wanting me to play with clients, I implied I'm okay at golf and now he's organizing a golf game with him, the tradesman and I. I actually don't think I've ever played golf, I'm 27 female, except for mini golf which I'm terrible at. What should I do to prepare myself for this? He likes drinking so I'm hoping we'll have some drinks and maybe things will lighten up and I won't be freaking out that I don't know how to play except for what I've seen in movies. The tradesman is really good and plays almost every day. My boss said he's alright and probably thinks him and I will be on the same level. 
All I know from movies is you try and shoot the ball towards the goal and as you get closer you hit softer and try and get the ball in the goal in as few hits as possible. Don't land in the sand or you might be stuck for ages. Right? Okay. So, obviously this person does not seem to know much about golf. It's a hole, not a goal. Um, so, so I'm going to, I actually gave this person a really long uh, response. And um, whatever. Uh, it's really obvious to tell when someone can't play golf. And yes, wa watching YouTube can help. But not from the golfing perspective, I'd say from the from like the general etiquette. So so here's what I said. I said, golf is hard, much harder than it looks. If you look like you've ever if you look, if you don't think you've ever played, then you haven't. If you've never swung a club, it will be so painfully obvious if you've never done it before. It's just not something that you can learn that quickly, but you can try. Do you have clubs? If not, find a friend that knows about golf and get them to steer you in the direction of a cheap Walmart set so you can show up with your own. Um, find out the following right away. Is it a charity work scramble outing or just a regular outing? This one seems like it's a regular outing, but if it's a scramble, you'll go and just practice hitting driver and putting exclusively. Maybe take a lesson or get a friend to teach you. That's what that's what you they need you for. Uh, just uh, you're the girl, so you're going to be hitting from a further up tee box. You just hit the ball in the fairway, and then they're probably closer than any of their shots would have been. And then putting, you're just another person putting. Um, scrambles where everybody hits from the best shot. If it's a regular outing, then um, you should probably walk back your skills even further and just say, hey, I would admit that you've never played a full round of golf before. Like, seriously, unless you play one beforehand. In fact, I would go play one beforehand if I were you with somebody, one of your friends that actually does play golf. Uh, but when you do golf, uh, whatever you do, don't slow anyone down if you've seen that episode from new girl where jess goes and plays that round of golf and everybody applauds her because she's playing with the person that can get her students the computers uh don't be that jess don't be that person that is the worst person you can possibly be on the golf course somebody that slows down golf is the worst so here's what i do i would pair up with your boss or whoever the best person is uh, be the friendliest person, be the nicest person, be the person that orders drinks, be the be the coolest person, most enjoyable, pleasant person to be around. That means knowing etiquette, when not to talk, when to talk, uh, where to step, where not to step. Um, this is something that you can learn watching YouTube. Uh, just watch a video on basic golf etiquette. Um, and then play a kind of a scramble with them where you just kind of hit the ball from where they are. Then you pick up. Then you go to wherever the next ball is. You hit from there. Then you pick up. And that's what I would do, because uh, that's going to be the way that you don't slow down the round of golf. Um, so general etiquette, uh, don't talk when somebody stands near the ball. Um, don't talk while somebody's swinging at their ball. Don't stand between anybody's ball and the hole, especially not on the green. The green is where the grass is even shorter. And just learn basic golf terminology. terminology. If you don't know anything about golf, it will be... Um, painfully obvious but yeah just be upfront with your boss say that you don't know anything about golf but you you'd love to join because it, it is a great opportunity for you to join and then start learning start learning uh good luck but if you have enough time maybe schedule a lesson where you can learn uh watch a youtube video in advance and study up on basic golf knowledge then take a lesson beforehand get some clubs play around a golf by yourself and then join and then then you'll at least be um in a better situation than somebody that's literally never golfed before because 
that at that point you're you're risking kind of never getting invited back again and kind of embarrassing yourself. So that that's I mean I'm not saying it's like a life and death situation, but um, with your career it's not. But you, you could really embarrass yourself. I I don't know what kind of person your boss is, but uh, you could really be embarrassing yourself here. So be careful uh, and 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 treat it with the treat it with the appropriate level of seriousness, um, depending on your relationship that you have with your manager. So, uh, cause you lied, <laughs> you just straight up lied and golf is just not one of those things that you can just lie about, but knowing how to do very well. So, all right, next question. Is my boss being unreasonable? So lately I've been getting late night emails from my boss around like 11.30 PM or past midnight asking me if I can join a meeting the next morning first thing. Today I woke up to an email from him from after midnight asking me to join this meeting that's half an hour before my start time. How should I respond to this? Am I expected to join this meeting? Appreciate any advice. Yeah, so so your boss um your boss is knows your your work hours and um this is that's really late so they they shouldn't reasonably expect you're awake at that time if you're getting enough rest to show up to work and be in tip-top shape so uh, this first commenter gives some great advice uh decline the invite with a note that you're not available at that time that's a good one that's a good one i would i would go ahead and just decline say hey i'm not available at that time i, I don't get it uh you know, if you when you wake up in the morning and you see it, um, just say, "Hey, I'm not I'm not going to be in the office at that time. Um, in the future, if you if you need me to to be in for something early, please give me advance notice before I go to sleep the night before." Um, that's kind of wild, but yeah, I would just uh, decline decline the invite and just say I'm not available. Um, you don't even have to say um, it's before my work hours. Just say I'm not available at that time. And, and then see if they can reschedule. Um, say, hey, I'm uh, maybe even decline and say, hey, I'm not available at that time, but I'm available at these times. Um, and then and kind of give them the Uno reverse card and put it back on them. Um, but yeah, no, if it's before your start time, if, if you can't make it and you woke up, you woke up late um, and then maybe kind of have a conversation with your boss about, you know, you're a helpful person. You're, you, but your, your reality is, is you go to bed at X Y Z time. So if they send you an email after X Y Z time, you're not gonna get it until you wake up the next morning. Um, so you're not gonna be able to do anything about it, and, and just kind of give them a, you know, just a heads up. Hey, I'm not, I'm not. I go to bed. I, I, I respect. Just not even start with that. But I'd say, you know, hey. I go to bed at XYZ time. So if you send me an email past then, I'm just not going to be able to um, to react to it. I, I work this far away from the office and it takes me this long to get in. So when I wake up, I'm just not going to be able to make it 30 minutes early. So I'm just not. So if you need me to show up, I, I, I mean, I'm happy to be a team player. I, I can show up sometimes when I can't, when I can make it work. But you're going to need to give me a little bit more of a heads up. Let's see what the comments say. Notice that managers that pull this sort of thing never let people feel secure in their position. Oh, interesting. Um, somebody says, I use a boomerang plugin for my Gmail that has an inbox pause function. It allows me to set non-email hours and even set a sort of mini vacation autoresponder so that, yes, messages received after hours are on weekends get an auto-reply reminder of my business hours. That's pretty interesting. Huh. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, that's not a bad idea. You know, just have an auto out of office that goes goes back and forth whenever people email you after hours. 
Um, this person says that sounds completely unreasonable and crossing boundaries, but it also depends on your relationship with the boss. If they are time flexible with you, as in leave early, expect any time off, accept any time off, etc. You may want to stay flexible if you feel like if you like that kind of privilege. Either way, keep your chill. You cannot control how others act or react, but you can control how you see their action. And that's what kind of my relationship has always been with my managers. So that's kind of why I had similar advice. But they said, my, I wouldn't say my boss is exactly time flexible. He's very much of a works for him kind of thing. He has to do this, do that. He has a do this, do that attitude with employees and get salty when you ask to reschedule a meeting and stuff. Well, sounds like uh, you got to you got to let them know, especially if it's a recurring thing. Um, ask Constantly ask you to do tasks outside of your work hours. May have to start searching for something new. You might. So, yeah, um, I, I would I would still push back the way that I advise and all the other people advise in the chat. And if your boss kind of keeps on digging in even further, then I think that's even more confirmation that you should start looking for a new job. So that's what I'd say. Yeah, um, not not an ideal situation, but I wish you the best of luck. All right. Next question. the top hs teacher wanting to switch to the construction management slash civil engineering field i am looking for possible routes to get into the civil engineer slash construction industry i am currently a high school special education teacher in my fourth year i have a master's in teaching special education and elementary education and bachelor of arts in philosophy i have pretty strong problem solving and analytical skills i love puzzles and logical reasoning I have strong math reasoning skills yet I did not complete formal mathematics instruction past pre-calculus. I am eager to work hands-on and move away from academia. I have no qualms about working my way up from bottom of the food chain if you will, as long as I can afford to feed my family. I don't want to go back to school for an extended amount of time due to not taking on additional debt and time not working, feeding my family, but I would be happy to self-teach what I can. Current Ideas 1. Jump in as an electrician as an apprentice and become a journeyman, work my way over to general contractor, taking classes along the way to sit for the CIT exam. Wondering if I would eventually have to go back and get an additional bachelor's degree in engineering or if there is any way to get around that. 2. Study additional math and pick up my math endorsement for my teaching certificate. I could then teach middle school or high school math while working part-time on an engineering degree. 3. Pick up my A in engineering at the community college and work as an engineering technician while working part-time on my bachelor's degree. Looking for feedback on my ideas. Ideally I would like to get out of the classroom slash office and work out in the field, but top priority is to be able to pay the bills, feed my family and have a fairly consistent schedule in order to have regularly family time. Yeah, so I, I'd say that I like your idea that you have for the... Uh the AA in engineering at community college, it, um, specifically to try to become a technician. Um, what I, what I try to go do is, and a lot of people in the comments said the same thing, but I would try to become a designer. And if you, if you like pipe, for example, um, I, I would, I would look at maybe pipe designing, uh, as kind of the, the first, and the reason why I say pipe designing is because, um, in my experience, the pipe designers make the most of all the designers and uh, there's no pipe 
engineers, um, but every engineering consulting firm has pipe designers that run pipe. And it's super important. So the pipe designers sometimes get paid more than some of the engineers. Um, but I mean, that's just my personal experience from what I've observed. But um, yeah, I would start off as a CAD technician. So sometimes they, they said in the comments here, sometimes you need to go to school for it. Sometimes you need to get a, you can get, if you don't have any idea on how to start, um, then you could go part-time, take classes on how to do CAD modeling. I wouldn't even say that you need an associate's degree in it. Um, most companies, as this person said, don't really actually require a degree for you to become a, a CAD technician. But maybe if you don't know where to start, uh, a good way to start is looking at affordable programming at your local community college where they teach you how to do CAD modeling. Um, so I, maybe a certificate um, or just a series of classes that that's what I guess what, that's what a certificate is. But look and see what kind of resources you have to learn how to do 3D modeling and kind of do that. And then. And then, yeah, I think that's your quickest inroad into the industry. And then then you're just making money right away. And then eventually you can kind of grow and grow and grow and grow. And you already have a degree. You already have a bachelor's degree. So a lot of the people that are in CAD roles um, don't have the teaching experience and the bachelor of science degree that you have. So if you get really good at it, you might be able to be more attractive for going into management roles. And that would be kind of good for you. I will, I will say this, though. Um, you mentioned wanting to go out in the field. Um but your top priority is to pay the bills, feed your family, and have a fairly consistent schedule in order to have regular family time. I'd say that you, you might be more suited to an office role than a field role. I mean, construction is different. There are local construction firms, right, that do construction in your cities, like the Turners and, and that kind of stuff. And there are big EPC firms that do large industrial construction. Uh, and generally, the work hours are not as consistent for those firms. The locations are all over the place. So I, I would look at maybe... Um, firms that do commercial construction, do stuff that are in cities, and that'll give you a better chance of getting um, more family time because you're not having to maybe move around as much or work kind of crazy hours in remote locations. But yeah, I think you have a really good idea. I I'd say go 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 the CAD route, and and then you might see you know you work on these projects and you realize that oh that person in safety does something really interesting. I'm really interested in what safety does. Um, or maybe you're interested in what quality does, or there's no, there's no, there, there are safety programs and quality programs, but I don't think there's a degree in safety for construction or quality for construction, but people get into it anyways. So um, you might just kind of get in, get into it, get your foot in the door as fast as possible by taking a couple of CAD classes, getting into a company. And then you may see that there's just something that really interests you. Um, there's no, degree in scheduling but people get into scheduling and that's super cool um there's no degree in um project controls but that's a job there's so many jobs procurement I, honestly i think that you could actually do really well as a buyer or in procurement as well i mean because you're, you're good at you have really good people skills um you have basic analytics you don't need to have an engineering degree to be in procurement but you have to have basic technical understanding and it seems like that you could pick it up pretty fast from what you described maybe look into becoming a buyer as well um but yeah no I, I there's a lot of things you can do in our industry it's a really big industry business admin business management um there's so many roles that go into these big construction projects and if you're really interested in it uh we're definitely hiring uh, if you want to work in the new orleans area reach out to me I'll, I'll i'll see what i can do to get you hooked up for a job but it, it's such a vast role vast industry there's so many jobs so there's definitely something a way for you to find your way in and i don't think you have to go back and go get more schooling i think that that's a misnomer you don't have to go back and get more schooling because there's just so many things that you can do that just don't require an engineering degree. So 
I think your your first gut saying kind of avoiding going back and getting even more debt or getting more school and just get immediately trying to work as fast as possible is a really good first gut feeling. And I think you should kind of act on that. And I think that the CAD tech is a good way to kind of get your foot in the door. So, all right, next question. Six figures first job for Evil Inc. I am moving fields and got an offer for a company. I have started part-time. Great entry to the field. Love the work, love the co-workers, getting to advise senior board. I am very early in my career. The more I dig, the more I have learned about how dirty the industry we play in is. Some friends say this is my bootstrap era. I won't find something that pays as well and need the experience desperately in my first year. Suck it up for the first year for six figures. Like all young people, I want to make the world a better place. Basically, I am in the business of making the poor poorer. Um, yeah, this is difficult. Um, you mean, are you saying that you work in the loan shark industry? Um, or hedge fund or company like BlackRock? Yeah. Um, you know, a job is a job. Um, if you don't feel like you can ethically do the job, then, then, then maybe not. I mean, but if you could, if you, if you enjoy the work, you enjoy your coworkers. I mean, you, you there, there's other things you can do outside of work to give back. So, I mean, you got to feed yourself. So, I mean, this is just so difficult. Um, if you like, I mean, it's, it's really difficult to find a job where you fulfill fulfilled and you feel like you enjoy it every day. So there has to be something that's at least redeeming and fulfilling about this job, or you wouldn't be doing it at all. Um, so I'd say it's, again, it's really difficult to find a job where you feel fulfilled and if you don't like the industry, you don't like the industry, um, but you can kind of be a good person in that industry. I mean, you're new to it, so you're going you're gonna to learn more, you know, try to keep on learning more about what you guys do. And because even, I don't know, for example, like I work in the construction industry and I build big facilities that um, provide energy and one of the side effects of that is that it does create environmental impacts, right? Um, but you can be the person that is environmentally conscious working in that industry where everybody needs that. Every, I mean, every construction site needs people that are environmentally conscious. So um, every you know chemical plant needs people that are environmentally conscious. I mean, that there's a whole industry around making those things more conscious. And I'm sure that there's there's guidelines and and um, regulation in your industry as well that makes it less dirty than it could be. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd say um, stick it out. Um, don't just leave without having a job lined up and um, and, and be the 
somebody said, be the hero of your own story. What would the best version of you do there? Um, but I mean, if you don't feel like you can ethically work there, then you can't ethically work there. And, but don't just drop it right away and start working, you know, take your time and don't just jump off and don't sacrifice and kill your entire personal career, um, over this decision. Um, take your time, but, and you said you think you're advising the senior board. Well, maybe you can advise the senior board in a manner to behave as ethically as possible in what they do. But yeah, just, um. Oh, that's difficult. That's a difficult, difficult ethics question. But um, yeah, I would say at least suck it up for the first year. You may learn some things that surprise you and the industry may not be as dirty as you thought it was. Or maybe you'll, you'll learn exactly what you need to hear and learn that you need to get out. But don't just leave without anything else lined up. That's for sure. Definitely don't leave without anything else lined up. But but man, that is a, that's a difficult question. I I, my mentality has definitely shifted on the industry that I worked in. Um, ever since working for it, I've learned a lot of things that make me really proud um, to work in the industry that I work in. And I'm very proud uh, to work in the industry that I work in. And my, I've learned so many things about the good things that we do to to mitigate environmental impacts, the agencies that we work with, um, to make sure that we do that. I mean, how, how diligent and how observant we are of that. I think that, and I didn't have that knowledge whenever I first ever heard of the industry that I work in now. So it's one of those things that you might learn that it's not as bad as you thought it was, or you might learn that it's exactly what it was. And if you can't ethically work there, then peace out. But okay, man, that was it. That one really put me on my toes. That's for sure. All right. Next question. Where do you see yourself in five years? How do you answer this if you don't want to move up the ladder? I had an interview for a lateral move, same role, same duties, with a new company. The main reason I'm exploring this is to increase my salary as my current employer has said they've increased my salary as much as they can. The interviewer for this new role asked me about my ambitions, what did I hope to learn, why I am interested in their company slash role, and where I see myself in five years. The truth is I'm talking to them because they're able to pay me more for the same body of work. Period. The pay range for this role is very comfortable for my lifestyle, expense profile, and financial goals, and I don't see myself gunning to earn more and more if I got this job for at least a while. The bigger truth is, I don't care about additional learning OPPs or growth paths. I have no desire to move up to management, which seems to be the only avenue any employer offers for growth. All I want is to do a job that I don't hate, be able to sign on at 9 and sign off at 5, and make a living that allows me to save and doesn't have me eyeing my bank account anytime I want to buy something or go on a trip. So what do you say to someone who asks what your ambitions are when really your only ambition is to make enough to live comfortably and not hate your job? So what I'd say is, I'd say almost exactly that. So what I'd say is, I could see myself continuing as an individual contributor, that's the buzzword, uh, in this company, in a similar role to what I do now. Um, and just, you know, be honest, not everybody, not everybody's going to be a manager. They don't, they don't want everybody to be a manager. There, there's some people that are managing, there's some people that aren't. Um, if you don't want to manage and you just, you really enjoy the work that you do, just say, hey, I, I really enjoy doing these aspects of my job. So I'd really like to just kind of maintain those things 
in my career uh, and, and just be honest with them. And I, I wouldn't lie because uh, if it's not what you want to do, <laughs> the worst thing that they, you could possibly put situation you could put yourself in is where they're, they're pushing for you to get into something that you're not, that you don't want. And if you don't want it, then you don't want it. Don't do it. Um, but yeah, I'd say, hey, um, I really say, for example, you're a lead civil engineering designer. Hey, I really enjoy being a lead civil engineering designer. So in five years, I see myself as a lead civil engineering designer with a good work-life balance and uh, working for an employer that values me. And, and then that's what you could just say. And, and hopefully it's here. Um, and, and that's it. But yeah, I, I would say you don't have to feel like you have to lie. I mean, some people in the comments are saying lie, but why lie? I don't feel like telling the truth here really hurts you. So I'd say tell the truth, be honest. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this can hurt you. I, there's, there's, there's people that want to be individual contributors. There's people that want to be managers. There's people want to be VPs. There's people that, I mean, everybody has a point in their career where they become satisfied and they want to tap out. Some people way later on in the career progression than others, but some people very early on, they just kind of, I mean, they're like, oh, well, I really enjoy this. So I say, you know, just be honest about what you enjoy and how you see yourself doing it. So next question. How to leave job when projects aren't done. I'm thinking I want to change jobs. I've been at this job slash company for 10 YRS and would like to do something else. But I don't want to leave a bunch of unfinished design projects behind. I'm the lead with two assistant engineers who know very little about the work, bridge design. What happens to projects in this situation if the main engineer on a bit of work, like several projects, leaves? Yeah, I, I'd say um, just leave. Put in your two weeks notice and they'll either transfer over another lead engineer from another project onto this project. I mean, the, depending on how your company's organized, I'm sure that they've dealt with people leaving before. Um, obviously, they don't want you to leave. Um, but people leave all the time and, and a good savvy company knows what to do whenever somebody leaves, they'll probably put your job out on the street to apply, hire somebody else and then, uh, yeah, replace you. And then maybe you're the person that you currently report to will kind of put a little extra workload in and focus on keeping that project alive, um, while, and keeping those juniors going. But, but yeah, I'd say, um, a, a good piece of advice that I saw down below is, uh, You'll never be in a spot where you can give two weeks and have no projects left. Assume the company failed in resiliency by not training those down the ladder. Um, you can only try and pass the torch, but ultimately the rest of the office will have to figure it out. I wouldn't be that harsh about it, but what I, what I just say is, is give a two weeks notice, do a good job of doing handover documentation, make sure that people knows where everybody knows where the product is at, what's remaining, where all the files are at, what, what things are upcoming, where you're at in the schedule. Um, and then, you know, put in your two-week notice and peace. So it's, that's what I'd say. But, um, yeah, just just leave. Put in your two-week notice and, and be a really friendly person. Don't burn bridges on your way out. Just be friendly and, and give them information when, when, when they ask for it in those two weeks. And then after that, I mean, if you want to answer a couple emails here and there, you can. But don't make yourself too available for that. But just leave. Put in your two weeks notice and leave. That's what you do. That's how you leave. You leave. You just do it. You actually leave. I believe in you. Just leave. All right. Next question. 
I made a huge career slash college mistake. Hi all. I made a huge mistake, grad of community college in computer science, then became an electronic slash electrical engineering student. Last summer I took an internship with a large MEP company, mechanical slash electrical, construction. Building data centers. I dropped out of college and agreed to work full-time for them whilst still going to college part-time. I am absolutely exhausted, have wasted a year of education, I'm 24 now, went back to school later. And am none the wiser for it, my job has consisted of mindless paperwork, arguing with electricians and waking up at 6am for work the last 10 months. I am now considering going back to full-time, working part-time. I know the year's experience looks good on a resume but do no sacrifice your education for a company no matter how glamorous it seems. I am basically a paperwork boy for a large company now and everyone told me it was the right move. Alright, so I know you feel like it was a huge mistake, but I actually think it was really the right move. And I am part of the everybody that thinks it was the right move. Um, I mean, yeah, you, you, I don't think you wasted a year of education. I think you got a year of education on what the MEP industry will look like for you if you work there. I mean, you might not think that you're either you or either from your experience or watching other people's experience, you learned what it would look like if you worked in the MEP industry post-grad. So the question I have for you is from that experience, would you still work in that industry after you graduate? Would you? I think that that's a big learning you learned a lot and and I don't, I don't know what the answer is that for, i don't know what the answer to that is for you but pushing paper a lot of people in engineering push paper uh, there's, a, there's a lot of paper pushing and you got to see what goes into the meat and potatoes of getting things done in engineering so i'd say you might be exhausted um and that's totally reasonable but um yeah, I think you learned a lot. I think it was a great experience for you. And you got to, a lot of people don't have that experience on their resume before they graduate. I think that you, your resume is going to look great when you do graduate. I think it's a great idea to go back to part-time um, and focus more on education again, um, probably, hopefully with a little bit more money in your pocket because you've been working for them full-time. But yeah, go back to part-time, especially if they'll take you. If they'll take you as part-time, that means they like you and they, maybe you'll have a job guaranteed for after you graduate. Um, but I'd say I, I understand your perspective, but nobody has to graduate on a specific time scale. Seriously. There's no, there's no, like everybody has to graduate by this time. Um, so, so just chalk it up to experience. You learned a lot and, and be proud of yourself for having a job and, and doing this. But I don't think you made a huge career college mistake. I don't, I, I don't as somebody who works in the industry, I got really lucky to have my first job out of college to be in an industry working for a company that I like. And, and, and that was a company I interned for as well. I mean, it was, I'm just so lucky. Other people, they bounce around and they, they, they go into starting into a job and they don't, they realize they hate it and they want to go work in something else. And then they switch industries again, and then they switch industries again. And that's the mistake, uh, not the mistake. It's just life. But I think it's, I think it's a good experience. Let's see what the comments say. Mindless paperwork. You mean an engineering job? <laughs> Everyone told me it was the right move. It was the right move. I don't understand what the mistake was. Go finish your BS and take the FE exam. You're doing a great job. A lot of people do years in industry mid-college. Calm, calm down, dude. That's a haiku. Yeah, so I, don't be as hard on yourself. I, I think you're fine. Um, 
Y'all, those of y'all in the comments, go give this person some love down below. It sounds like they're, I think they're just maybe a little burnout. So, hey, just take a breather. You're going to be fine. Like, seriously, you're doing great. You're doing great. Uh, you're going to finish your job. You're going to finish, well, finish college. You're going to get your degree. You're going to get your engineering job. And you're going to be better because of the experience that you had working for the MVP firm that you worked for. Seriously, you're going to be better off for it. All right. What jobs can I get that are non-technical or not related? Chemical. Oops, wrong thing. All right, next one. Oh, no. I'm getting ahead of myself. But yeah, dude, you're, you're fine. Don't worry about it. All right. What jobs can I get that are non-technical or not related to chemical engineering? Are there any jobs that you could get that are not technical jobs, or jobs you get after you have been in a technical position? Like a managerial role, consultant, or product manager? Yeah, so D, all of the above, you can do all those things. Uh, I work in change slash contract management. That's not technical. I mean, I do some estimating here and there. Um, so slightly technical. There's people that are engineers for my company that work in procurement as procurement managers. There's people that that's not really that technical, um, more paper moving. Um, sorry not to minimize that career. Um, uh, also, you've got, uh, I mean, there's so many things you can do <laughs> that are non-technical non in engineering with an engineering degree. Your, your degree is super, super duper versatile. Business development uh, is another one. Uh, but yeah, being an executive, <laughs> I wouldn't say that that's very technical that unless you're like a chief engineer or something, but yeah, there's, there's plenty of things you can do, um, that are non-technical that with an engineering degree, chemical engineering degree that are not related. Shoot. I worked in proposals for my first job out of school. I did bid documents and I did a little bit of like project scoping, but very minimal and it was a good, good job. So yeah, there's, there's tons of jobs that you can get that are non-technical, um, Procurement, subcontract, here's my, here's my comment. Procurement, subcontract management, contract management, business development, finance analyst for an insurance company, a business manager for a project, you run all the finances. Um, but sometimes, sometimes you might need to spend a little bit more time in a technical role, but dude, I never, to, 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 in order to get those roles, but I never have worked in really a technical role other than my change management role. But, and here I am, I'm, an engineer that's feeling very happy and fulfilled in his career. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's plenty of things you can do for sure. All right. Next question. Next question is from the top fired care to explain. I was recently fired from my job of three years where I worked up from registers to assistant manager. I work in an at-will state so wasn't really given an answer as to why I was let go. Is it better to tell the truth in interviews that I was let go? How much detail should I go into? Should I just not mention it if not asked? This is my first time being let go from a place and don't really know the correct protocols. Any help would be much appreciated. Yeah, I wouldn't volunteer the fact that you don't currently have employment. Uh, I wouldn't volunteer that you were let go, but if somebody asks if you were let go, then don't lie. Just say, yeah, I was part of a layoff or a reduction in force. Um, 
and I'm excited to start a new role. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't bring it up. I wouldn't lead with that for sure. Wouldn't lead with it. But if if you're asked about it, I think it's okay to be honest and just say yeah. Um, that's part of a reduction of force. Uh, you don't really have to elaborate. Um, there's everybody knows that layoffs are going on right now, so uh, nobody would really look down on you too bad for that. I don't think so. Yeah, just be honest. Just say hey. Um, yeah, I was part of an ROF or a layoff around the layoffs, but excited to start. But you said, how much detail should I go into? None. Should I just not mention it if not asked? Yes. Uh, and you'll be fine. So yeah, don't, don't go, don't lead with that. That's for sure. But it's not something that you should be embarrassed about. Um, if you're, if you ask about, you're asked about it, because a lot of people have been through a layoff and you're not the only one. So yeah, no, you're good. You're good. Don't worry about it. All right. Next question. Why can't I achieve a high mark in my courses? What am I doing wrong? I write notes for all my courses and work on all the suggested practice problems. I review my notes before the midterm and leave the exam feeling disappointed because I didn't do well when I was prepared. The exam is nothing like the homework cause it's more complex with theory and technical questions which I can't seem to do well in. The highest grade I can achieve is AC with a couple of Bs in some easy courses. I can't study 24-7 cause I have work and other shit to do but I put in so many hours trying to understand and learn the material. Am I dumb cause the homework seems simple but the exam is completely different. I'm writing this post cause I got a 40% on my physics midterm. I now have to score a high mark on the final exam only to get AC or AB if I'm lucky. I hate paying thousands on courses only to get Cs or fail. So you're doing the homework practice problem. That's good. That's a good first step. But it seems like you're solving them and you're saying that's easy and I solved them. Uh, so you're solving them for answers and you're not really studying, in my opinion, well enough for comprehension and understanding. I think that that's the next step you need to take. So not only are you trying to solve these problems, say I got the answer, but you need to look at these problems and say, hey, what concepts in these problems do I need to understand? Do I do I do I understand all of the steps and the conceptual things that I needed to understand to get to the answer without referencing my book or without while using the same reference material that I got to? Like, what kind of things are these problems trying to teach me? That's that's what you got to think about. And what you can do is you can look at your past exams and, and say, OK, well, this is what the homework was about. And then this is what was tested on the exam. So I needed to understand this, this, and this. And this is just part of learning how to take engineering exams, really. Uh, it's just it's just part of it. it, it so, for example, um, you, you basically kind of got to think ahead and say, what, what is my professor going to test me on? And you're like, well, if you're taking a, a, um, a physics class and you're learning about um, acceleration, and velocity and how those are related you might have to apply it you might be given an object that's flying in the air and you have to figure out how it starts you know start start brainstorming ways that you could be tested on these concepts that you're learning and how that because what they're going to do is if your exams are anything like mine you know you had like 40 different engineering homework problems that were related to that exam and you have three exam problems three so there's a lot of concepts that are going to get covered. So you're going to have to understand those concepts really well and how they interplay with one another to be able to be successful. 
on the exams. You're gonna have to be, figure out how to apply them together. So that once my friends and I in my study group figured that out, that's when we started doing well on exams. So what we do is we find practice problems in the back of the book, not the recommended ones, the ones in the back of the book, the ones in the back of the section, the hardest ones that, and, and it turns out that those, sometimes those were actually the exam questions. And other times they were very similar to the exam questions because those, those, one, those problems at the end of the section of the book, of the practice problems, that's where you're having to really apply multiple things. So if you have access to past exams for that, like, you know, if, you have, if the class traditionally has three exams, if you have access to past exam three, by for example, you can see what kind of questions are getting asked. But just reviewing your notes and, and looking at the, uh, the textbook, not going to be sufficient. Re redoing homework problems is good, but you got to be able to redo them for complete understanding. Not just did I get the right answer, but did I completely understand every concept? And then, then... Then the next step is is thinking of and, and doing practice problems that are similar to the kind of exam problems that your professor would make. So review your past exams. See, hey, what do they do? Oh, they what they did is they we learned about this, this, and this. So they found a way to rope this, this, and this into one question. That's that's whenever you're going to take the next step in preparing for exams. So here's what this says. The cost of low grades is different for everyone, so I can't necessarily give you the one true solution to your problem. However, it sounds like maybe you could use some practice figuring out what's going to be on tests so you can study in advance. For example, one way to practice the skill is to go over old tests and try to notice patterns in the questions that you answered incorrectly. Once you've identified gaps in your knowledge, go back and review those topics, keeping an eye out for where and how they are presented in your lecture readings. That way you'll know what to look for when you're preparing for the next test. It also can help to go to office hours. So if you're not going to office hours, go to office hours and chat with your professor or TA about the topics that you got wrong on the test. It can be super helpful to have a human to bounce ideas off of while you're trying to understand theory and concepts. Finally, it really helps if you spread out your studying. Good one. Um, graduate tutor here. It sounds like you are more caught up in getting the right answer and not so much understanding the theory behind the math practice problems. If you're solving problems out of the book, go beyond what's assigned. Doing the harder problems, which are typically not assigned, can help drive the connection between what is being taught and applying the knowledge. Kind of like what I said. And lastly, uh, the most honor, the most honest answer I can give you is you're not learning the material. Anyone can complete the homework and look up the answers. In the math and science field, we have to do more than that. We have to find solutions. We have to do more than just find solutions. We have to understand what we are doing exactly. You have to do it for comprehension. The classes I did best in were the ones where homework was hard. We spent almost an hour on the problem, so we got used to seeking out methods to solve it, thus learning advice. Ask for help as soon as you don't understand something. I understand that prof professors are unfair, but all you have to do is pass their class. If people did it without the internet and answers online in the past, we can do it too with much more resources available to us. So yeah, you need to you need to one up your studying. And yeah, you have stuff to do, but you gotta one up your. You just gotta take you gotta take your studying to the next level seriously. Uh, and and you're gonna be okay. But it, it, it's just it's it's more than just doing the problems that are assigned. You, you really got to study for comprehension. And once you do that, then you'll find yourself uh, succeeding. And the way you do that is by anticipating problems. They're going to be on the exam. That's 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 where you get to the next level. So like, how is my professor going to ask me to string these concepts together by using an application in similar ways that they've done on past exams? That's what you got to do. So, And then doing practice problems that are related to that. All right, next question. Accounting student interested in engineering. Hi, everyone. I am about to graduate with a bachelor's degree in accounting this spring. I do enjoy business and the different career paths an accounting degree lets you take, which is why I majored in it. My issue is that I've always had a more engineering-focused mind. 
I love solving problems and thinking creatively about stuff or making things the most efficient they can be. I really think a career in engineering where I could think creatively and solve problems for a living would make me most satisfied. Although maybe the grass is just always greener on the other side as well? Do most engineers really get to utilize their creativity or just sit at a desk like most other office jobs? I am just wondering what my options are as a senior accounting student who partly wishes he could be landing an engineering job instead of a public accounting one. Would I need to go back and get another four-year degree in engineering? Can I pivot from accounting to engineering? Any insight anyone could share would be really appreciated. Thanks. So, yeah. So, um, what I'd say is, as a senior accounting student, yeah, you could be, um, you could do things related to engineering, but um, it's just, it's it's one of those things where it, if you want to do a traditional engineering design job, then yeah, yeah, 100%, you'd have to get an engineering degree. But I don't think you should. You have a very useful degree. An accounting degree is super useful. And I think you can do things related to accounting. And if you really enjoy the engineering industry, then you can work in it. Like um, you can work in business manager, as I talked about earlier, where you run the, the finances for an entire project. You can work in project controls um, where you or cost management where you manage costs for a project. Um, and yes, engineers are um, getting to use their creativity, but also we are sitting at desk like other office jobs. I mean, that's just the reality. I mean, so you're not going to have this like if 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 your if your vision of an engineer is like watching Steve Jobs in the in his garage in the Apple documentary. It's just not the experience for most people. An engineer's life desk experience is similar to an accountant's experience, maybe minus like the 50, 70 hour, 80 hour work weeks during busy season um, during your first year as an first year as an accountant. So yeah, I, I'd say that get your experience, try your accounting job. And then if you want to work for an engineering consulting firm, then then maybe work for one later. But um, if you wanted to work as an engineer, yeah, you'd have to get a four-year engineering degree. You would, you wouldn't be able to do engineering design. If you wanted, you could go do CAD tech, um, and that kind of stuff. But honestly, it's just, it would, you'd make less money than you would as an accountant. Um, and you can't really pivot to an engineering degree. That's why people get engineering degrees is to do engineering. So you can't really do a full engineer's job without an engineering degree. You can get into the industry again, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I'd say uh, it's just one of those one of those things that you, you you know you chose an accounting degree. But I mean, yeah, you can get involved in projects. Um, you know, engineering is consulting, accounting is consulting, so you'll get a lot of the similar experiences, kind of the project management aspects of it. Um, yeah, but it's one of those things where um, you got an accounting degree. Uh, so go for it. Uh, stick with the accounting degree. Stick with what you. I would, I would just say stick with what you're doing because you picked it. But you're going to get to solve problems as an accountant too. What I do is I talk to some people that work in accounting too, and and kind of see what how they get to use their problem solving gene. And a lot of those accounting firms they also have other arms where they do like Deloitte does consulting. So if you really want to do some problem solving, then maybe you could go look and get into the consulting side of your company. But um, yeah, I think this is just one of those scenarios where grass is greener on the other side. So. 
All right. Well, that that was the Engineering Success Podcast. Sorry for that little interruption. My bad. Uh, but it, it's been a great episode, great week. Thank you guys for listening in. It, and I'll catch you in the next one. This has been Daniel. This has been the Engineering Success Podcast. And I'll see you next week. All right. Bye.